Hello, hello, hello. Yep, there we go. We here. Uh, welcome. This is uh, WIT eighty eight point nine FM, um, and you're listening to the Rio. Uh, my name is Malik Aleem. It's my show. Talking to creatives, finding out you know what makes them tick, what makes them talk, and I'm blessed to have a good friend of mine uh, in the building, Guy Harris. Guy, what's good? What's going on with you? Hey, welcome on, brother. Man, just, you know, trying to do what God intended for me to do out here in this world. You like that beer, though? Yo, shout out to Lagunitas, brown sugar. I never had the brown sugar, but I do love good Lagunitas. Let's get into it, man. How you doing today? Good, 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 man. Good. Trying to get reacclimated to stateside. <laughs> back in this shit. Has it been hard acclimating yourself back to, to being in the States? Because you were abroad for how long? About a year and two months. About a year and two months. So since you've been back for a couple of months mm-hmm. now, what's been the biggest thing that's like, damn, this is not what I'm used to? Uh, well, let's just kill the, the, the easy one right away. Everything is so expensive here, man. Like I, I literally lived a year and so many months off my savings. Like, I wasn't punching clocks or nothing, you know. I make a couple pieces of art on the road, sell it and everything, but, like, back here, you know, a pack of cigarettes, like, $15, bro. Mm-hmm. I'm coming from where cigarettes is, like, a dollar. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, this is a problem. It's wild. Do you smoke cigarettes? Yeah. I'm, you see this little little joint here? I'm trying to, I'm trying to quit. I'm, uh, I'm about four days... Four days off the cigs, no cigs. What do you smoke? I don't have a brand. Like when I was in Rwanda, I was smoking in Hordies. When I was in Colombia, I was smoking some Colombian cigarettes. You know? <laughs> whatever it is, whatever whatever the the cheapest ones are. But man, I'm not gonna lie. I tried these uh these Newports for the first time, man. Ah oh, man, this stuff is poison. Man. It's terrible. Is this I how hate the, a Newport? Is this, is this how black people are, are not winning because of Newports, man? I can't Yo. deal. Where so everything's expensive abroad. Um, so where were you? You were living. You 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 left here in the states a, a month and I mean a year and two months ago, um, and you went to South America first, right? Yeah, I was uh, th- uh, in Ecuador for three months, traveling around, volunteering uh, here and there climbing mountains and whatnot. And then uh, I was in Colombia for three months doing pretty much the same activities. Uh, and then I got to Rwanda in uh, East Africa. So you, went, so you went from South America to Rwanda. Was that planned? Was it was like, this is an itinerary? You're like, all right, we gonna hit, you know, Central America, South America, then we going to Africa. Or, or, or did it just so happen that way? We, we didn't have a whole lot of plans. It was not a solid, day-to-day plan but we knew we had to be in rwanda to to plan this school build you know for heart of a thousand hills heart of a thousand hills shout out heart of a thousand hills um non-profit i'm not sure they're still active oh yeah 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 yeah. um nina 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 eliza nina eliza uh founder instagram uh heart of the hills heart of the hills and we'll make sure we plug that at the on the back end of it of this show but um dope phenomenal woman um and, and 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 so you are were able. It's just it started this nonprofit, and just like funding, um, building schools, in uh, her hometown of Rwanda, mm-hmm. um, and 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 so there was a certain date right for that, 
school build, but y'all had time between there to to move around a bit. So I, I for one, wanted to see something that I've never seen before, you know, and that was fulfilled 100%. But we reached a point where we were like, we were in Ecuador. Now we can go north and hit Colombia, but there, from Colombia we can't go to Venezuela because it's like the dang, most dangerous place in the world. So we couldn't go up and then, you know, go over to Venezuela and then, you know, Brazil and things like that. We couldn't do that. Venezuela is the most dangerous place in the world? Yeah, pretty much. Wow. It's I didn't one know. of them. I didn't know that. <laughs> and uh, why? It's just rough there. I mean, they uh, they had like some uh, some government changeover, and and the, go- and the new president came in and was like, all this money is mine, not the country's. And then he died, and this is the whole thing, you know. So the people struggling, and they will rob you for what you got, maybe your life as well. But uh, I mean, <laughs> get that, you for your life. That's, that's what get- at least that's what Google tell you, you know. Mm-hmm. Now we could have went we could have went south through Peru. Chile, Argentina, you know, and we would have been able to see more and do all this and whatever. But the the main thing was we had to be in Rwanda. So we like, okay, we're going we're going to spend some time in Ecuador, we're going to spend some time in Colombia, and then we're going to go to Rwanda, spend a whole lot of time there, build our clientele, build our our informational, you know, awareness, you know, just get to know the place, the lay of the land. So when our volunteers who came from Chicago, who came from the states, you know, we were we were better prepared to serve them than the year before. Mm-hmm. So that was the plan. That's why we went to Africa so early. We got there in like March, and pretty much stayed there the duration of the year of uh, twenty seventeen. Okay, okay. So I want to pivot a little bit um, and ask you more about your life. So I met you in the context of a program called City Year. Um, an AmeriCorps subsidiary that works a lot in, in, in Chicago public schools and also doing school, you know, beautification, community beautification type things and, and, and stuff like that, physical service. But, and, and I hope you don't mind me, you know, putting your age out there, but I was, I was the youngest core member during that time and you were the oldest. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I want to know kind of what put you in the mindset of doing service um, and what, what drew you to City Year in the first place and and what drew you to wanting to, you know, work with, with, with Heart of a Thousand Hills and go abroad and actually continue doing that kind of service work? Okay, I, I can break it down real fast. Uh, <clears throat> I always, I've always been a server, you know. I've always been a volunteer or someone that wanted to give back. Uh, I grew up, you know, south side Chicago, you what know, parts? Uh, 53rd Walcott. Come Word see up. me. You know hey. what I mean? Come see me. I'm right there. I feel that. You know, that's where I'm from. So I, I know a lot of people who didn't make it out of that. And, you know, and, and I, I, I happened to make it out of it somehow. I can't tell you how I made it out of it, but I did. And so I always had this need to give it back. So even, you know, 18, 19, I was coaching football for you know, fifth and sixth grader football leagues, you know, the park leagues. Uh, shout out to the Owls, Washington Park Owls, you know. <laughs> Coach Guy out here. Uh, <laughs> I've always done things like that, but then I've always worked dead-end jobs, you know. Like, you know, I make enough to have my own place, keep the lights on, maybe a little food, but 
and not enough to like go out and party all the time and stuff like that. You know what I mean? So, right. you know, I, I got bored of that. You know what I mean? And, and when I found out about City Year through a girl who had like went through the program and graduated the year before, um, named Ray Ott, uh, she was she was telling me about it or whatever. I was like, okay, I checked it out. So I, I applied, but I was on the edge. You know, I think it's uh, 17 to 24. You mm-hmm. can you can apply to and and be accepted in the city year. Yep. I applied when I was 24, so my application was on file at 24, but I was actually accepted at 25. That's okay. why I was the oldest core. Got member. you, got you. But yeah, yeah, I I was into that stuff, and I was kind of tired of what I was doing. You know, security type jobs and stuff like that. Uh, kind of working my way through school. And city year kind of changed my life, you know. I, I quit, you know, my hustle, and I started doing something that I was passionate about. You know, we we worked at Paul Robeson High School, um, near peer t- tutor, teacher student relationship type thing, and uh, it was beautiful. You know, it was beautiful. So, so my my experience with city year. Um during you know during the experience was positive but in hindsight the you know the kind of relationship that that organization has and had and has with the schools and the students and 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 and, and what whatever um now strikes me as very problematic mm. in certain ways just like kind of how we were forced to like track our interactions with students and these spreadsheets and like kind of quantify razzle. You remember razzle? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, what did that stand for? Re- re- something about reports. Reporting our influence upon these 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 kids that we work with, um, in, in in just very problematic ways. Like the, like these these kids were robots, and that we were like kind of taking a temperature of you know, the feedback that this computer had given us. It, it was just, it was in hindsight, not the, the best way to approach, um, you know, trying to influence children in, in, in shitty situations. But I don't fault, I don't fault the organization in, in, because, it, it, you know, the nonprofit industrial complex mm-hmm. is, is real and there's pressures that, that make you, you know, exist and, and, and act in different ways. But um, I guess since you had time that you got to, sp- I don't know if you actually got to spend time with children in these different countries mm-hmm. that you were in, but but how was your experience working with City Year and the children here in Chicago on the South Side um, in a high school, Robeson High School? Shout out to them. Uh, how was that different, you know, from what you experienced abroad in in, in Ecuador, Rwanda? Oh, our babies on the South Side of Chicago are different from most people's babies in different places in the world, you Man. know. Premature babies. New York. Premature babies from the belly of the beast. Uh, different from Cali, different from Asia, you know. We, we different, so, you know, and, and we grow up in a different atmosphere. I know I did. And uh, so we see things in a different way. And the cultural differences are immense. You know, the, the kids there, they don't they don't have any of the privilege that we have. And it's, it's, it's weird to use the word privilege when we talk about us. But when you go overseas, as long as you have an American passport and was born on this soil, you, have, you are privileged to most people, you know? It's, it's, it's kind of weird. 
Um, yeah, like, like I remember, you know, growing up in the projects, but I still had Jordans on my feet. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, we, we, we poor, we in the projects, you know, but right. at the same time, I got the mics. Like, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> <laughs> so, like, but like, I got the mics, though. <laughs> I, was, I was in Rwanda teaching kids who didn't have shoes, and the shoes that they did have were donated. So, like, they got, like, somebody's old Mickey, Mickey Mouse joints from... from Back in the day, you know what I mean? So it's, it's different, you know? It's different than what you see. And, and somebody who hasn't seen anything is going to revel in anything that they see. So it was a lot easier to teach them because they wanted to learn, because they wanted to see more and be and step out of the place where their family or their parents currently are. You know, we were teaching out in a village. You know, some of these kids may have aspirations of, of moving into the big city, you know, maybe going abroad someday, you know, and, you know, getting college education, things like that. So it's just it's just different about, you know, different from what you see. It's, it's kind of like when you're a teenager, it's a difference between your father buying you a car and giving you a car. Uh-huh. Or you buying yourself a car Absolutely. and you getting a car, you getting something beat up and fixing it up or whatever. You're going to take better care of that car. Absolutely. You know what I mean? It's something absolute. that was given to you, you're not going to really take as much care of it or, or care, mu- care as much for it. You know, right. and there's nothing to be said to the individual person. It's just, it's just yeah, how we are. Circumstances. Right, 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 right. So I, I would say that the differences are, are extremely cultural, um, just in how they're taught and what they see and, and to be honest, you know, they don't they don't see as much as the kids here and, and, and the kids here don't understand that, you know, because they think, oh, we, you know, we downtrodden, we stuck in the rut and we in this place or whatever. But it's, uh, somebody always got it worse. You right, know? Right, somebody right. always not only has it worse, but is willing to do more than you to get out of where they are. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So they can have it worse and get to a point of being better than you at some point. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. I don't know, man. I have a whole philosophy that I've been building up on the things that I've seen and experienced right. overseas. So I, um, I've always been extremely curious about how African people from the motherland view us, right? The the stolen, the, the children of the stolen ancestors um, who exist here in the Western Hemisphere, um, in this land we call America, mm-hmm. um, can you tell me a little bit about that and, and, and what your experience was, like, you know, being an American nigga mm-hmm. <laughs> in Africa? Mm-hmm. Uh, I can only speak for East Africans because that's who I engaged with the most. Um, mm-hmm. East Africa, East Africa. Uh, for those of you who don't know your geography. Um, let us know because I don't know my geography either. So that's, uh, that's Kenya, Uganda, Rwanda, Tanzania, Congo. Mm, some people won't count the Congo, but Congo and Burundi. That's, Boy, yeah. that, that in, in, that's East Africa, right? Okay. There. Okay. And within East Africa, there's a culture, and within each of those different co- uh, countries, of course, they're, they're cultures. You know, just what like I mean? here, right? Just like here, exactly. So. Uh, to be honest, man, uh, in the school that we were teaching, we were teaching like, you know, we were tighten up on the, the teachers English, you know, because they're supposed to teach the kids English. And if someone is speaking broken English and then teaching that to the kids and it's just a cycle, you know, yeah, so right. we were trying to tighten up their English 
And part of that was uh, I, I taught like a, a history segment on, you know, some uh, black history. Uh, we talked about kind of like, you know, middle passage and then talked about, uh, I, I, I broke it down in sections, you know, I, I got my notes somewhere. But, you uh, had full autonomy over what you developed and in, in, in were able to teach these children? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, because they were grown ups. These were grown ups. You know? Oh, these, these were, were the these were not children. You know? Oh, you were teaching teachers. Yeah, Word. we're like okay. We're in this interaction, right? I'm teaching. I'm I'm telling them, you know, kind of what happened to us. You know, I'm telling our story, and they had no idea. And they blew, didn't know about the middle passage. And they knew that we left from the point of us getting on the ships and leaving the coast. They didn't know it was on the ships stacked up like saltines and shit. They didn't know any of that. Damn. And I showed them images of that and some people cried. Like they had no idea. They had no idea. They knew we left the continent. They knew we were taken away by, you know, whoever, but they had no idea the extent of what we went through, you know? And now like- I taught one of the I taught them about Harriet Tubman or whatever and they were like they put up a bunch of posters and, and murals of Harriet Tubman around the school like like they, they understood like this like, is hey, powerful hey, yeah like hey, respect you know but Harriet like gang what up though real talk like they had Shit, no idea man. and it blew my mind but then I had it's to think about it like right it can't really blow my mind because I don't really know their history you know what I mean from when we left I mean even, I, I don't know any of their history yeah, I don't know anything right, about true, it you true. know They've gone through this whole thing and like it, it's stacked up and they had their whole history, just like a whole bunch of things happened here on, the, on in the States, you know, a whole bunch of things happened in East Africa, you know, and it's still happening and I didn't know any of it. So it, it, it kind of, I kind of had to check my, my, my expectations and check my privilege like, oh, what, you don't know what happened and everything? Because they had no idea. And not only did they have no idea, they didn't have the propensity to really care because they're going through what they're going through. You yeah, know what I yeah, mean? It's, yeah. it's kind of hard to really focus on what somebody going through an ocean away when, you know, you got your own day-to-day. That's so fucked up, man. It's so, it's so fucked up that we, like, the struggles, you know, just what you, what, you just, what you just outlined, like, the fact that those folks, you know, have had their struggles and continue to have their struggles we're doing, you know, we're going through what we're going through, and mm-hmm. those things are so potent and 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 so intense that they're blinders for us to be able to see what our brothers and sisters, however far removed, are going through. Yeah, and like I, I was telling them about, you know, like the road to freedom, and then you know, Emancipation Proclamation, Civil War. I told them that you know we we got freedom at some point, right? And one of them asked a question I couldn't answer. I mean, I knew the answer to this question, but it, it, it's, it's not a question that I would have expected. She said, uh, well, once you got your freedom, why didn't nobody come back? And I was like, at that point, we've been there for 400 years, somewhat, mm-hmm. you know? And, and not just that, but we, I mean, I, I don't know the answer because I wasn't around then, but I imagine it was probably a very daunting idea to figure out how to get a passport or how to get, you know, how to go overseas as someone who was just property of, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like for generations of somebody else. Like we thinking, uh, we thinking I got to eat. I, I got to, I, I need a, a roof over my head. Like we my thinking children. very, right. I got mm-hmm. kids. Like we're not really thinking about intercontinental, <laughs> you know, intercontinental exploration like that. The same reasoning can be said for people who don't travel today, you know? Man, I gotta make 
I got to pay these bills. I got to make sure my kid get food or I get food. You know what I mean? I don't have time to do it, you know? I'm just lucky enough to be in a position where I don't have kids and, you know, too many anchors holding me down. But, like, yeah, I I thought about that. We had this whole, whole discussion. I think, like, a week-long discussion about this. We had to break it up, you know, because it got real deep, especially for me. You know what I mean? Like... Like it got deep for me because this this is this is my history, you know what I mean? And and for someone to tell me that they had no idea that we were going through this, it was just like they just got away with treating us however, and nobody was even watching, you know. Nobody really even knows. Even I met Europeans, you know, you know, other travelers from you know different places in Europe, you know, France and and, and UK and and even Germany, you know, these these people travel a lot. And I met them, and you know, and a couple times, you know, they would ask little questions similar to that, like, "Yeah, so how is it like for African American in America?" And I'm just like, I can't even imagine that you not know that. <laughs> I, can't, I can't imagine that you don't know what a lynching is. <laughs> I can't, you know. I've had to explain some weird things to some weird people out there, man. But like, yeah, it's just, it's the way it is, man. Yeah barrier to information it's, it's wild and, um, it's, and, and, and when I say cultural differences man that's powerful man it sets somebody that like me and you sitting across this table right now you know we could have cultural differences but we grew up in the American culture believe it or not you know but when you go somewhere where someone grew up in a completely different culture you know and you're trying to communicate it's going to be some points in that communication where you're going to naturally clash because mm-hmm. it's just you were raised differently. You were taught different things, you know? You saw different things, yeah. That's real. So tell me about Bearded Dragon. Mm-hmm. Where did that come from? What was the conception, inception of the Bearded Dragon collection? You know, uh, one thing that was synonymous on this trip, everywhere we went, I... I just miraculously and magically ended up meeting really dope artists, you know, randomly, like, you know, and, and they would they would show me just hella love off the back and, you know, we would kick it hard, you know, we would, you know, experience things together and then they're artists, so they're always making art and I'm kicking it with them, making art, listening to music, kind of, you know, helping each other with languages. They know a little English, I know a little Spanish, so we're kind of helping each other up. And uh, I picked up a lot of little techniques, little art techniques, you know, and things with clay and, and, and wire and, and stones and, and, and just uh, macrame with strings and things like that. Just so many different techniques. And I thought I, macrame was some white people shit until, until I seen see some of your stuff. <laughs> I learned I learned it from from South Americans. Okay, <laughs> okay. So, I mean, I I heard about it, you know, maybe on Friends or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> but like when I when I peeped it, like I learned some like some dope ways to move maneuver it, you know, from Latin people, you know, from. So, but 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 specifically, Bitter Dragon is your. I don't want to call it a company because it has a lot of capitalist, uh, you know, connotations to it. But you know me but, well. <laughs> but you're, you're you're kind of creative outlet, right? Yeah, um, yeah. I've, I've I've been uh, 
probably doing this hardcore for a little over what? a year. Uh, making jewelry. Making jewelry. Bearded, gra- bearded dragon. Um, it's a, a, a it's jewelry, right? You're, you're making, uh-huh. jewelry, you're creating jewelry. Different art uh, concepts. Uh, paintings. Uh, I carved a totem. Po- I carved six totem poles in Colombia. Big, huge totem poles with just a chisel and a hammer oh, and shit. meat. Getting ate up by sand flies in the morning. Carving his <laughs> joints. You know, so I, I've done a lot of art, man. More art than I've done my whole life in the last year. You know, just. Just doing things, you know, mm-hmm. building things and stuff. So Bearded Dragon Collection, that, that's just me. You know, a dragon is a traveler and, and, a, and a seeker of knowledge. And, uh, you know, I got the beard, so. But you also have a, you, you, you've always been a big fan of um, animals, right? Amphibians. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to say snakes. Yeah, I've had lots of pets, man. I, but but, I but specifically, two, uh, and you got art. You got art on your body, you know, it, 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 um, kind of showing homage to these specific type of creatures. What 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 has drawn you to, you know, dragons, lizards, snakes, these type of amphibial, you know, amphibial creatures? What what, what do they mean to you? At first, not much. You know, I was that kid that, you know, after a big rain, I'd go in the ditch and, and pick up big toads and bring, sneak them in the house. You know, I was that kid, you know. I, I've had all kinds of pets from iguanas to bearded dragons to, uh, I still have two huge snakes. I have a nine and a half foot boa constrictor and I have a. a I might have a few people who want to do some photo shoots with them, so. Man, I put it together. Let me put it together before I leave. Hey, straight up. That'll put that'll put me in a position to see my my snake. But and I and I have a seven foot uh, python. You know, so yeah, I've, I've I've just had dopes dope pets. Um, pretty much all my life. Like you know, I got a, a big big black pig boy. You've met Pluto. You know, Pluto. So, shout out Pluto. I love you. My thing is my my pets got to entertain me, man. I can't have no fish, man. <laughs> I need I need I need a pet that's gonna devour whatever I whatever I put in front of them. You know what I mean? I even had a big tarantula one time, man. It was a what? Uh, yeah, and I'm I was, at the time I was terrified of spiders, man. <laughs> but we went to the pet shop to get we went to the pet shop to get food for the snakes, right? And I'm and we looking at this new spider they got, and he was explaining it to me. He was like, "That is a, a emerald green skeleton spider." It's one of the most ferocious and deadly spiders in the world. And he was like, the venom will kill you in three strikes. I mean, if you get bit three times, it's over. And the fangs were like, you know, as long as one of your finger segments, you know, when he pulls it out and it like a, like a blade, you know. And we were putting our hands on the glass or whatever, and the spider was like following our hands, like trying to attack the glass and everything. It was crazy. So I was like... This is the dopest thing ever. <laughs> so me and my brother, man, we were roommates at the time. Me and my brother, we got this spider. We took it home, and we were like just feeding it all kinds of things. You know, we started out feeding little, little other, little things. You know, little crickets, little other spiders, lizards. You know, mice, rats. We then all the way up, so we threw a whole rabbit in that boy one time, and that thing was not playing no games. Like anything, it ate the rabbit. Anything we put in that tank got ate, bro. <laughs> bro, wait, 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 wait. What's the mechanics of a spider eating a rabbit, though? 
Hmm. It just hit it with the it hit it with the venom and then what? It sucked its blood out or what? We put a big rabbit in the tank. It was a forty gallon, you know, terrarium. We put a big rabbit in there, and the spider was up like in a corner somewhere in his on the web in his little joint. You know, he had a little. Uh, I call it a condo. You know, spider <laughs> condo. But as soon as the rabbit feet touched the ground, the spider came out like do 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 Walked up on it, jumped up on it, click. Click, bit it a couple times. That thing was twitching for a few seconds, oh and then it was not God. moving anymore. And then, and he wrapped that thing up and ate off of it for like a month. Oh my God, are you serious? Yeah, man. That this and you know, we used. To, uh, I used to even have a uh, a YouTube page of all my animals eating. Stuff. I, I like the real parts of life, you know. I, I don't want to go to the safari and see just giraffes when I know it's supposed to be some lions out here. You know what I mean? Word up, yo. So so yeah. So so bitter dragon collection. Um, you you use stones and minerals from the earth. Mm-hmm. Um, to create these beautiful pieces, and and I know there's a lot of um, properties and, and philosophy behind some of these stones that you use. Um, tell me a little bit about how you learned about you know what what certain stones mean for for the human body or the human experience, and and how you started to incorporate those into your art. Uh, I I learned. I was always a rockhead, man. I've always had like B. Always used to pick up rocks, man. You know. Yo, me and my brother. You know Troy. Me and my brother yeah. used to. Uh, we used to. We used to sell rocks in a, in a <laughs> very innocent way. <laughs> we used to go find dope ass rocks and literally would go door to door in our little apartment complex. And so we was like six, seven, nice. eight, nine, and would sell beautiful rocks to people. People would buy them from us. We were, apparently was good salesmen. <laughs> Because folks was purchasing our rocks for like fifty, seventy-five cents, but um, it's straight like, up. I've always, I've always had an. It wasn't getting high off our rocks, but they was buying. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's a that's a metaphysical intoxication that comes yeah, along with absolutely, that. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. But like you know, even before I was making art with it, man. If I go on a hike, or if I climb a mountain, or if I go somewhere, you know, in nature, on a beach or something. If I see something that sticks out to me, I've always been the type of person to pick it up, you know? And uh, I spent a lot of time with a, with a dude I would consider one of my best friends, you know, uh, a dude named Lawrence. It's my Sabanim, you know what I'm saying? It's my uh, Taekwondo teacher, you know? Oh, word, word, word. Yeah, and he... Uh, Kamar, y- 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 y'all took the same class? Kamar? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Kamar is my big brother in the class, yeah. Shout out Kamar, man. Yo, this dude finna get a new belt in a minute, man. Hey, Shout out to Kamar. Like, we gotta go, go to that. But like, yeah, so uh, I learned a lot of, uh, of the properties, of uh, metaphysical properties of stones from him. And he taught me, you know, because he, he was like a, ge- he had like a geology minor or something, you know, so he knew a lot about stones, you know, the, the names and the classifications and, you know, the, some, of the, uh, some of the properties of them and things like that. And he also had a couple books that he let me uh, check out. So I had a little bit of a, a start, you know, on, on, on that kind of information. And then when we, you know, when I, when I started making, you know, jewelry, when I started making art with these stones or whatever, then I started learning more about them just through my, my day-to-day use, through Google, through a book that I have, um, uh, you know, and just, just moving forward in life, you know, and, and, and picking out 
picking out my subject. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's it's a lot of it's a lot to it. I could tell you the story, but it'll take too long, man. No, tell me the story. We got time. Uh, so okay, this uh, this old African dude he told me this story about a stone. It's called the the, the philosopher's stone, mm. right? Like the one that you you read Harry Potter? Yeah, but it's different. It's, it's different. a different stone than that. It's not like the fountain of youth. It's it's different. This stone was supposedly have cured this man of a terminal cancer. Yeah. He was looking for a, a natural cure. He, the doctors told him he had so much, so much time left or whatever. So he's trying to look, how, look, do the best he can with what he had, you know. And this, uh, this old, old African guy gave him a stone from the mountain behind his house. He said, if you keep this stone in contact with your skin when you sleep, then it will have uh, positive benefits to it, right? Didn't say, oh, it'll cure your cancer or anything like that, but he said positive benefits, right? So then the guy everybody, buys everybody. all the man's stones. He spends his last savings cent, right, and buys like a hundred of these stones and lines his whole bed with these stones. And he lays all over the, on the stones when he sleeps. That shit got to hurt, though. It's got to be uncomfortable, right? <laughs> Right? Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Gators got four months, but he lived seven more years. With just no other... With, with uh, I mean, no other treatments. I hope he was, was drinking just... water, you know, because that's the true cure, you know? <laughs> but, like, yeah, this is the story. And this is like, a, I don't know if it's an urban legend or what, but, you know, a guy told me this, like, it really happened. I don't have facts or right. anything yeah, like but, that. Right, but, but, you know, it happened. It happened. It happened. It happened. <laughs> <laughs> And so, and then what? Then what? So then the guy starts, uh, he starts uh, going to, he goes back to the doctor, and the doctor clears him of uh, cancer. He says, well, you're no longer afflicted with this disease or whatever. So then he writes a book, because that's what Americans do. The guy was American, by the way. <laughs> they always wanted to tell me about Americans, you know, the <laughs> Americans that they know. Man, let me tell you about this guy I know. <laughs> but yeah, so the guy wrote a book, and then he bought, like, whole mind that you know in Africa that mined this particular stone and he you know uh, mined out cranked out a bunch of these stones and started selling them or whatever with his uh, story or whatever just like and an American benefiting from it right just like an American try to monetize that healing shit right the the big farmer started like, yeah exactly <laughs> the moment he started uh capitalizing upon his stone though he go back to the doctor the doctor tells him tells him uh, you still have the cancer. And he was like, well, the last time I was here, you said I was cleared of the cancer. Well, that must have been some mistake because you, you have, from what I see, you're, you're still terminally ill and you have two months to live. This is after living seven years. You know? Yeah. So he couldn't figure out what it was, you know, and, and, and I, I think the, the African moral of the story thing was, you know, don't take advantage of the earth or the earth will take advantage of you or something like that. He's like, look, I, I didn't healed you and now you didn't flipped it. You didn't try to make money off of me. It's quiet for you. That's how it is. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. He's like, I know it was you. <laughs> um, I guess I want to ask you what your favorite, your favorite stone is. Because there's many stones. You got your rose quartz. You got your... You got your amethyst, you know, you got your, what's that black one? The, the, the real obsidian. The obsidian. You, what's your favorite stone 
and why? I think my favorite stone is Tiger's Eye. It's beautiful stones. It's it's, it's it looks good on my skin. You know, <laughs> it's Look also it, uh, it, it also builds up uh, longevity because it's a fossil. You know the colors and the and the and the shapes of uh of of this particular stone was built from tiny billions of tiny bacteria that was forced together by the pressure of earth and you know held there. And so uh, anything that's a fossil is good for longevity. This is good, also good for strength and spirit. Um, yeah, the tiger's eye is just, it's, it's a, I love it. That's my favorite stone. Second favorite stone would probably be obsidian just because it's black. Yeah, I said it. It's because it's black. Martin Luther Black. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? Like, yeah, it's black. Word up. But yeah, like, uh, I, I don't know. It's, I've always had this affinity to stones, man. Even my girl, we would go hiking or we would go, you know, out, out in nature somewhere or whatever. It got to a point she bought me this little bag, man. I got, I got a little sack, right? And I can only pick up as many stones to put in that sack per day, you know what I mean? Because our bags was getting heavy. You right. know? She's like, look, we can't keep carrying around rocks or whatever. <laughs> she, stopped, she stopped caring as much once I started making art with it. But, like, beforehand, it was a problem, you know. She's like, no. <laughs> yeah. Just so, so, did you ever manipulate the actual pieces of art that you found? Like, like have to chisel them or make them smaller or in a shape that you wanted for the for the for the pieces that you'd make? Yeah, I've, I've broken a few stones actually, not as many as uh, as you would think, but I got like a big piece of uh, lava rock from Congo one time. This girl, she came to me. She's like, I, I wanna. I want to make some Christmas presents out of this rock. I was like, "That's a big rock." And this <laughs> was my first. This is my first stone breaking right here. So I, I literally had a hammer and a screwdriver, and I just kind of, you know, chiseled it up. And somehow, miraculously, she was able to get enough material out of that stone to make uh, five sets of earrings and three pendants. You know. And she was there all day, just kind of wire wrapping or whatever. So it was dope. It was it was a dope experience, you know, doing workshops like that. But yeah, I, I've broken a few now, you know, and I, and I tried with different ones because, you know, different different rocks got different consistencies. You know, I, I had a uh, an obsidian piece that I wanted to break in two because it was kind of oddly shaped, and I, I just kind of went for it. And it worked, so yeah, you know. But it, it, it's also like a luck thing to it, because that's kind of like glass too, you know. Right. But yeah. So, um, question: What are you listening to right now? Man, I'm on. I'm on a solely chance musical diet diet right now. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I listen to only old chance. I'm still listening to acid rap, man. You know. You can pick anything off of Juice. Rap. What? Uh, give me one. The whole album. Play the whole album. I, That's what I did. <laughs> I heard the whole album. That boy in my car. It's that nigga Channel, aka Mr. Bennett, aka Tony Montana. I got some folks in Lowen. I got some folks in Sino, aka Hunted the Nero. I need you to. Um, I, I thank you so much for coming on um, and speaking to me about your your journey, um, your experience. You know, this past a year, 
um, please plug for me, you know, Bearded Dragon, plug for me your own personal socials or wherever people can find you. Um, let us know. Uh, uh, currently, you can reach me on uh, Bearded Dragon Collection, Instagram. Uh, I'm also taking custom orders on there. I prefer to do custom orders, but I do have some things pre-made. You can check that out as well. Uh, also, the, the organization that uh, built the school in Rwanda was Heart of the Hill, on, at Heart of the Hill on Instagram, Heart of the Hills, um, and it's heartofathousandhills.com. Check them out, please. They do beautiful work and could always use the success. And she was born in Rwanda, but grew up in Indiana and, and spent a whole lot of time in Chicago. So she one of us, y'all. Word up, word up. Thank you. Um, I, much love to you, Brother Gee. Again, this has been another episode of The Re-Up. Thank you. Roll up, dogs. Peace. We ain't down no more, we up nigga we up. Quickest way to the top is the re-up nigga re Got up. your man in the zone, tell him D up nigga I still see you in my rear view Beat up nigga <laughs>